Welcome once again into the Soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos. This is episode 39. And this is a big week. And I ask you to help out the development of our lovely little program, which is growing by leaps and bounds all over the world. To please rate, review, download, share, and pass the knowledge. Pass the love. On our way to Cincinnati this week, where we will be teaming up with El Tri Online to bring a USA-Mexico extravaganza. That's a good one. You have to roll the R's. We will be there, and we'll have a Thursday night show from a, a site to be determined. We'll have all the details here very soon, but join us for that. We'll have our YouTube in full swing. Check out Soccer OG YouTube on Max Bretos as we break down this rivalry and all things soccer. This is a very exciting week. It's also Decision Day, and we'll break that down with my very special guest from The Athletic, Felipe Cárdenas, joins me in the business end, a rising star, a rising force in this industry. We'll talk about MLS Decision Day. I'm recording this after I called the LAFC game where they lost and saw their playoff hopes ended. So I'm a little emotional, a little devastated, but I shall carry on because I am a true professional. But we'll talk with Felipe about... Decision day, who's in, who's out. We'll give you our MLS Cup finals predictions. And then we'll also obviously talk about USA-Mexico. Felipe has a very good insight. He has a connection to Tata Martino. We'll get a look at the Mexican camp, and we'll break it down. We'll give you our USA starting 11, how we see it. It's going to be a great show. You're in the right place, everybody. And, uh, well, we have a lot to get to, so I will pipe down, and the show will begin. Okay, we're back and a lot to discuss. Just what lies ahead here. Firstly, in the business end, I'll be joined by Felipe Cárdenas of The Athletic. We'll talk about Decision Day and we'll get into USA-Mexico. And after we did the interview, which we concluded here on a Sunday, uh, Cesar Montes was pulled out of the, U- uh, the Mexican national team roster. So that's significant. So we didn't address that, but obviously that came in after the fact. So keep that in mind. Later in stoppage time, I will talk about the English manager in the Premier League as that league continues to change with all the money pumped into it. Clubs are looking for the biggest name they can get. What does that mean for English managers? But what does it mean for the British managers who are actually doing okay? At least one of them in particular. I will talk about what David Moyes has done and how it is really unprecedented in the world of football. Let's get into decision day. Ah... Very bitter pill to swallow. I know I have some listeners from LAFC. I just want to quickly say, I love you guys. You make this job the very best. The moments I have at the stadium, talking to you, embracing you, are some of the the most special moments I have. I don't take it for granted. And the big part about being knocked out is that we don't get to share that for the next few months. But we'll be back in February. I cherish it. This is the job I always wanted. And uh, I hope you can will have me for as long as you you seem fit, but uh, that part stings. And uh, it's it, this LAFC had a, a hugely disappointing season, and they have a lot of work to do, and they got to fix a bunch of things. There's no reason LAFC should miss the playoffs. There's no reason. This is a team with the resources. It happens sometimes. You look at Columbus not making it, and you look at Atlanta, kind of high wiring, and these are the teams that you usually get compared to. Toronto, obviously, bottomed out and what is a transition year. But LAFC, it, uh, they, uh, this is something that uh, uh, should be avoided. But it happened, and now uh, they look towards the offseason, which I don't know what's going to look like, but we know Carlos Vela and Bob Bradley uh, are not in contract next year. They both could come back, one of them come back, or neither. I just I don't know. Uh, when I think of Bob Bradley, I think the first thing you have to ask is who do you get to replace him? And who's out there that uh, this is a manager that's still hugely in demand. And he's earned it. If he had a bad year by his standards, he's earned certainly coming back. And Carlos Vela just a decimated couple years due to injury. You would imagine he comes back for it. But uh, uh, we'll we'll see about LAFC. But I... I'm going to miss seeing everyone out there, and I hope we can fire up that stadium pretty soon. In 2022, it's going to be great because it's going to be hopefully a a, a back-to-normal year because these last two years were not. Quickly running through the playoffs, New England finishing first in the East, Philadelphia second, Nashville third, New York City fourth, Atlanta fifth, Orlando sixth, New York Red Bulls seventh. Both New York teams make it. 
six points separated second through seventh. In the, I'll give you my MLS Cup prediction with Felipe. That'll come up, so I won't give it to you now. DC narrowly miss out. Columbus out as well as is Montreal. Um, Western Conference, huge surprise. The Colorado Rapids, I called their game against LAFC. Really incredible what Robin Frazier has done there and just a hard team to play. And now they're going to have home field advantage as long as they are in it in the West. Really, the only team that would have home field advantage over them anywhere is New England. Uh, Seattle second, Kansas City third, Portland fourth, Minnesota five, Vancouver six, Real Salt Lake seventh. Both LA teams are out. And I know some LAFC fans will take some pleasure in the Galaxy not making it either. But that's really, it's better for the Galaxy to make it. Um, they're... It does damage to LAFC by the Galaxy having this year because it takes the shine off the rivalry. It takes the shine off football in Los Angeles. I would rather the Galaxy be in there. They're not going to win MLS Cup, but I'd rather they were in there. Uh, And it's good for the league. But missing both LA teams is massive because of the commercial appeal. The two poster boys of the league are Chicharito and Carlos Vela. They are the two biggest names. And uh, the Galaxy and LAFC drive uh, a lot of the interest, certainly. We're not taking about huge TV numbers. But if you have an average TV number for MLS Cup playoffs, it may go down a little bit. The Galaxy LAFC game, for instance, when they were there two years ago, was a a massive number. And those two weren't going to play each other. And that was a special year. But those things can happen and great things can come out of it. So that is a big miss for both sides, the LA rivalry there. All three California teams and all three Texas teams missed the playoffs in the West. Isn't that crazy? Colorado um, in the West would be the number one. We, we'll talk a little bit about um, a team that really interests me, Vancouver, who had the hardest plight in MLS because they didn't get to play at home forever, and they finally did, and they make the playoffs, and they ended the season on a tear. Vanny Sartini, their their manager, is a delightful guy, and we'll, we'll see what he can do. We'll get into these picks, but it's uh, intriguing stuff for sure. Decision day. Busy week of football all over the place. We're getting ready for USA-Mexico, so you're keeping a watchful eye on the U.S. national team players that were in action and some that have just disappeared, like Matthew Hoppy. I don't know. We need an APB on him. They said he had an injury, but what's going on? It's crazy. We'll get into the business end. Felipe Cardenas, one of the best. We'll talk decision day. We'll talk the U.S. men's national team. This is the Soccer OG. back and time now for the business end where we have a, a real conversation real football conversation with somebody that can hold one and Felipe Cardenas could do that in written or voice form and Felipe I want to tell you tell me what you hear tell me what this sound is that's the beautiful sound of a cold ice cold modelo <laughs> you inspired me because we're I'm, this is obviously just audio but I see the I see you on my screen and you had a cold one ready to go. And I go, I think at the very least, I should have one. So cheers it's to been, you, my friend. I mean, it's been a day. It's been a day. Cheers. It's been a day. It's It's been a long day. Depends on who you're pulling for. Ugh. It might be an unf- a, a forgettable day, but definitely a day that you should close out with a nice cold beer. So, yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm with you. I was one of those that had a, a not so great day. I just finished my drive from Burbank to Redondo Beach. Jeezy. Always is long. One of the worst drives in Los Angeles. And stewing after LAFC's 5-2 defeat to Colorado, which knocked them out of the postseason. And, you know, being so close to the club, it's difficult because, you know, obviously a lot of people are disappointed. So I certainly could use it. Uh, You cover Atlanta a little more, excuse me. You guys did all right. You got in there. They got in. I mean, they were pretty much in after the draw at Red Bull. The thing is, like, they had a draw at Red Bull last week, nil-nil draw, and it was, like, statistically the worst game Atlanta United has ever played, I think. I think they had one shot and created two chances, uh, and they were under stress the entire time, but it was enough to get in. Tonight, they played for uh, a playoff spot and hosting a game at home. You know, they, they came up short because they needed NYCFC to lose. Atlanta United got the win at FC Cincinnati. They started out losing that game to the worst team in MLS. Uh, Joseph Martinez scored uh, unbelievable 
freaking goal, dude. I mean, in any league in the world, the goal that Joseph Martinez scored is a top, top premium goal. And that was the winner for Atlanta. NYCFC tied at Philadelphia, so they claim that four spot. They will host Atlanta United at Yankee Stadium later this month. And so, yes, Atlanta is in, but they've got to travel. And they're a much better team at home, so it'll be interesting to see how they play on the baseball pitch. They got the five seed, right? Correct. Yeah, they finished the five seed. Same like same points as NYCFC, fifty one points. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know the goal differential, the head to head was won by NYCFC. You could get a home game down the stretch if you win it. I think that would, <laughs> it could be that crazy. Maybe you're hosting a West, an Eastern Conference final because of the seedings there. That uh, I, and I'm going to look forward to these postseason playoffs. Just a little bit, bit a little bit roughed up right now, but. Uh, I mean, second through seventh in the East is like five, six points separating that. You have New England up there, and everyone's worried about New England because they had such a big season. They feel they might do something what LAFC did when they had a similar season in 2019 and trip up in the postseason. But uh, it's going to be hard to gauge. And, oh, you know, it's it's which I had a conversation with Heath Pierce who called the LAFC game with me. So there's a 10, 12-day gap between the end of the MLS season and the beginning of the postseason. If you don't host a game, you add a few more days to that. And I said, would you rather just finish second and get games? Because that's a long time not to play. What did he say? He said he'd rather be first. <laughs> really? That's hilarious. And I go, yeah, you're probably right. But I mean, that's a long time. I mean, just, you know, rusty. And I listen, I, I was asked this the other day on counterattack uh, with, with your boys, Donnie and Miola. And for us that we, we talk to footballers so much and in different situations, when they lose a game, they win a game and you hear it from them, like, let's say after they lose, well, we want to get back out there and win. We want to get back out there and play again. When they win a game, when they win two games, when they win three games, like we want to keep going. They want to keep rolling. The momentum's there. So I think, I think it is a bit of a threat for New England to, to, for, to they have a buy. I mean, they get the buy, so they're not going to play right away. And then they get that, this huge FIFA break. Uh, you know, they could come out flat. I, I remember Bruce Arena talking about, you know, a couple of weeks ago, how I was like, he's looking for friendlies for, for, for New England. Like, are they going to line up friendly against a high school team or against a USL team? Who knows? But they've got to stay playing. Um, for a team like Atlanta that has injuries, you know, Marcelino Moreno, their number 10, he's out. He's been out with a foot injury. Joseph Martinez who's playing on half of you know, one and a half legs, you know, he's got half a leg and he's half a knee and he's still scoring 12 goals, but he could use the time to get more fit. That I think is an advantage, but for a top seed, uh, you know, you're, you're dealing with being the top seed, having the target. And now you have to wait, you have a huge layoff. Like it could, you could come out flat, come out sluggish. And like you said, have that sort of uh, downfall, the type of season that LAFC had when they were the favorites last season. Uh, but I think New England, listen, you look at the, the East, like you mentioned, whoever comes out of this little triangle, Atlanta NYFC, the winner there plays at New England. I think that could potentially be the winner of MLS Cup. I think those are the strongest team. Not, not Atlanta is like a super strong team, but NYCFC, New England. And like you said, if Atlanta gets through and they start hosting games, it, you know, it turns upside down. Five, five hosting six or something like that. And you know, now you put it that way. I you, I like the chances for New York City or Atlanta against New England for that reason. It's going to be a bit deflating for the, the Revs. Let's have a knee-jerk pick. Who do we think goes to MLS Cup? And I, you know what's weird? It's like I feel so separated from the Eastern Conference when you work on the West because you don't see yeah. the team as much. You obviously try and watch as much as you can, but there's there's uh, you've got to be wise about your time as well. But, you know, so I would definitely watch a lot more Western Conference than East. Um, I just saw this Rapids team. It was, you know, so now you're going to get ramped up to these stories. Obviously, the, the, the initial thought is like, okay, the two L.A. teams are out. The TV uh, companies aren't going to be thrilled. Mm-hmm. And but on the East, you do have like some bigger name clubs, Atlanta, the New York teams, which uh, you know, always have a certain pull. But these stories will develop and people will tune in. And by the way, I was <laughs> I was catching Jason Davis's show and he was telling me about Vanny Sartini oh already gosh. calling that they're going to beat sporting. And they're going to get so drunk tonight that they won't be able to play tomorrow. So it's good they don't play in 10 or 11 days. But I go, man, this guy's this guy's cool. This guy this gets it. Crazy. And I'll tune in for him. Yes. Like he is must see. Like Matt Pence, my colleague at The Athletic, was on the press conference today. Just go find Matt Pence's tweets. 
that thread. I'm gonna look at him now. The Sartini press conference was was incredible. I think the first thing he said when he came onto the Zoom, first of all, he had a bunch of players with him. It wasn't the professional, you know, coach sitting behind the backdrop of the logos. No, Sartini was there with a bunch of Vancouver players. Um, and the first thing he said is like, ask me any questions because it doesn't matter. I'm going to invent. I'm just going to invent, <laughs> you know, and then he taught, like you said, he's like, I drank so much champagne and like, we're going to get so drunk. We can't play tomorrow. So like, it's just, you know, decision. And day. then he called, he called us. He'll say that he's going to win the first game. He's yeah. he thinks he's going to win MLS cup. Maybe he does. Maybe they do though. <laughs> this has been a, such a wild year. Like you, you mentioned, you don't watch a lot of the East. I don't watch a lot of the West. Like I'm catching up with the West. And so it feels like the I old know, school baseball with the AL and the NL. Yeah. They only ran into the to each other at the very yes. end. And there wasn't a lot of like intra-league play this season. So like we didn't get to see a bunch of the teams. Uh, and what I can tell you about the East is that yes, New England separated themselves from everyone. I, I think it was sort of a down year in the East, but now that they're in the playoffs and you look at the teams that are coming out of the, the East. Uh, it, it looks like a stronger bracket. Nashville, who is like this this very traditional four four two, you know, can't break them down. Yeah, they don't lose games. They don't they lose, lose games. games. You know, they're so strong at home. They've got Orlando, who is a good team. They've got star power. They're just like you don't know who's going to show up for them, but they're a team that if they play the way they played at the MLS's back tournament, where you know, they were all gung-ho and getting through, you know, that Nashville-Orlando game is really interesting. Philadelphia Red Bull, I think it's like one of those, it could be like the ugly game of the playoffs, right? Oh, we like those. But we like those, <laughs> right? Like those are the games that, you know, someone's going to come out of the East and surprise, I think. Um, if it's not New England, who is the clear favorite, I think that's where the surprise will come because in, on the West, the surprise has already happened. The Colorado Rapids are the first seed. They're getting the buy. The LA teams are out. The Texas, no Texas teams in the playoffs. No, no Texas, no California. No Texas or California. And, and you look at the bracket, Portland, Minnesota, neither of those teams have been that good. Uh, Kansas City, Salt Lake. You know, Kansas City is sort of respected, but they're not a, a high-flying, sexy team either. And Salt Lake is like, do you want to play them right now? I don't, I don't know. You know, maybe not. And then finally, uh, you know, the Sounders, the Sounders are the team that they're like the Nashville of the West, right? They just don't, they don't know how to lose. They know how to win in the playoffs and they'll probably get to the final. It's, it's very odd. And um, I mean, the Colorado, they just squeezed the heck out of LAFC. It was incredible. And sporting it's, you look at them like a man, they take a lot of bad results for a team mm -hmm. that well, that losing at home to Real Salt Lake. That's, that's bad for Real Salt Lake with their road form to win that at the end was the, the biggest shock of the day by far. So I, well, let's do a quick knee jerk right now. What day is it? It is November 7th, knee jerk MLS cup prediction. I'll go first and you tell me yours. And we both kind of, talked. I'm going New York city, FC, Vancouver, Oof. Whitecaps. Oh, going to get wild. <laughs> okay. Uh... And I get the Seattle and I wanted to pick Portland, but I go, man, it's the West. Those, Seattle and Sporting had a chance to kind of tuck this away, and they never did. And I know Seattle turns it on in the postseason. That's their story. But I don't know. It just doesn't – not really flying. And even today, it kind of flat. And, I, you know, Vancouver – they don't want to play Vancouver. No one wants to play Vancouver right now. So I'm going Vancouver, New York City, FC. I'm sticking to it. All right. I'll, I'll go uh, – Nashville comes out of the east. Uh, and I'm going to say Kansas City, SKC. I'm going to say SKC and not because I'm like, they're the top team. I just, I don't know. They're with Peter Vermees. He's going to get psycho and just like totally convince these guys that they, that they're the best team in the, in the West coast. Um, and I think Seattle will, will falter. I think Seattle will, won't, won't be in the final. Like they always are. Uh, so I'm going to Nashville, Kansas city. So it's, um, it's interesting because, uh, Timing is everything, and I, I know it's going to be strange. But I think those we picked two very distinct finals. And Nashville, you know, it's you know a team yo-yoing back east and west. And mm -hmm. again, uh, Gary Smith, who's won an MLS Cup before, yeah, it's pretty interesting with uh, an unsexy team. He wasn't. He was. I mean, it was. It was Colorado, a team that 
wasn't the high flying DP star teams that we see now, uh, but but a team that was difficult to break down and, and knew how to win. So, and in the, in single elimination, it's like you can throw tactics out the window. I mean, yes, they get the games can get tactical, but if from what you saw tonight, I think there will be some playoffs games playoff games that resemble decision day, just just wild, just like um, just players going on their own tactics are out the window and whoever has more heart wins. It's going to be fun. I always tell people to tune in because there's nothing quite like it. Is it fair all the time? Probably not, but it's, it's ours. It's all ours decision day. And then the MLS cup playoffs, which will fly through and we'll see uh, who who's standing there at the end, but it's going to be something different. I think we're pretty safe to say we'll be able to maybe crack open an icy cold Modelo in Cincinnati. Uh, so I'll be taking my little soccer OG there. You'll be covering USA, Mexico. And this is a huge event. We'll have our third USA, Mexico of 2021. We were fortunate to have that many. We didn't know we were going to get the first two editions, but that kind of is preamble to this. An important World Cup qualifying, first and second. I know I did listen to you on counterattack. And by the way, they called us both Benedict. It's Dunny. He's He's a lunatic, that guy. Was he called Benedict Cardenas and Benedict Bredos? I was like, I almost wanted to fight him through the phone. How dare he? So, <laughs> but I was like, I was telling him, I'm a little worried about Mexico because some of the pieces are falling into place for them. Whereas the U.S., there's more and more question marks with injuries, selections, what's going to happen. Um, and it may be good timing for Mexico, more so just because, you know, Chucky Lozano is starting to, he was injured, uh, obviously, earlier this summer. And Raul Jimenez, who looked has looked much improved just based on the last couple of games where he's kind of taken that next step. So a lot of momentum, but still USA, Mexico, you don't know. And the, somehow Greg Berhalter has pulled out two of these results this year. I would imagine he feels pretty confident he can do it again. He's got a blueprint, even though they're different players, he's got a blueprint to face Mexico. And I think this Mexico team was close, kind of two incarnations that were like the Gold Cup and the Nations League. So he has a better idea what they're going to look like than maybe Tata Martino looks at the U.S. So I think that evens it out. But uh, if this is an opportunity, obviously, Mexico can really grab control of the qualifying and the U.S. can, I think, grab control of a, a qualifying, a, a World Cup spot with the right result. But it could get pear-shaped pretty quickly, too, for the U.S. So this is going to be huge. I'm not sure what to expect. I think Mexico's the favorite, but looking at the rosters, and I was hearing you talk about and a few others, it's an older Mexico team. Maybe it's ripe for the picking, even though they've been playing well coming into this. It's definitely, there, there are question marks, but I agree that the timing favors Mexico. They're, they're in better form. They're healthier. Uh, they, Tata Martino finally has the front three that he's always wanted. He has Raul Jimenez, Chucky Lozano and Tecatito Corona all healthy and playing together. They have not, I think they've, I think before the last window, they had only played together once. Uh, and I think it was in 2019. And so, and with Tata Martina, I think the biggest difference between Mexico and the U S is that with Tata and Mexico, you know, exactly how they're going to play and line up. It's a four, three, three. They play through their holy midfielder, Edson Alvarez. They want to get forward. They want to press you. They want to dominate possession. And they did that in both of those games that they lost to the U.S. If you go back to Gold Cup and Nations League, like Mexico was in total control of those games for the most part. They just didn't finish their chances. And when it when push came to shove, when the, when the momentum was, was rolling, when it, it became a game of heart and character, and want the U.S. won the game. They won both of those games, and so for me, that's 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 the level that Mexico has to to get to. Can they face a team that knows? Hey, we've beaten you twice already. We've beaten you with our B squad. You know, can can Mexico shoulder the responsibility of being the favorite, of being the Concacaf kings? Um, I think that's the biggest question mark for me now. I, I did talk to Dunny them about the back four. I think the back four for both of the teams are, are that's the question mark. You know who plays? Tata Martino has not decided um, on a clear pairing since he's joined. He he does stick to a couple guys, but like it's been a revolving door. I don't think that. I think that's their one of their weaknesses. It's not a speed group. You know Nestor Araujo from Celta Vigo, he's suspended for the U.S. game. Got a red card against El Salvador, so he's out. The left center back, I think you can pretty much guarantee it's going to be Hector Moreno, a left footer, 
came back from Saudi Arabia where he was playing. Now he's with Monterrey. Uh, and so the question mark is who is the partner next to him? You know, I think it'll be Cesar Montes because they played together with Monterrey. That's the easy chemistry pick. Uh, but I think Tata is probably thinking, okay, Burhalter's king. They're going to come after us. Like I think Burhalter knows he has a faster team, a, a, a speedy team. Uh, so I think that's where it's going to be. Like who can lock up the others attacking front three? And what does the U.S. get from Pulisic? You know, like again, yeah. he's just coming back from injury. Like, you know, I don't think Pulisic. You can you can say, hey, he doesn't play with his heart on his sleeve. Um, he's going to give everything, but how much can he truly give? Uh, you know, I look at Brendan Aronson as like the player that I believe is going to be really important in this game. It, I, I think these these both these managers were really looking intently on on the formation of their rosters or whatever intel they got because I think those goes a big way in figuring out how they were going to approach this game. Uh, I know the defensive issues for Mexico, but the midfield comes into play. They've had, I mean, Edson Alvarez has been the consistent, but they've had a bunch of different guys pop in there: Pineda, Romo, and then Herrera, Guardado. And I'm I'm of the thought if Herrera and Guardado play co- together if they do that three-man midfield like that, or if it's maybe one, there's an opportunity there because I think the pace and the athleticism of the U.S. could get an edge where they can get in behind that midfield. Uh, Alvarez is, a, is another level of a player, but I think that's a part that I'll be looking at. And it, it's, it really comes down to the selection. And this is what I, you sit there and just wait on your computer to see what the starting 11 is going to be because none of us really know. Uh, but it's gonna, <laughs> there's going to be a few surprises because I think either, either of them are trying to – respond to what the other is doing. And I I would love to get your thoughts on that. And I want to follow up on it because I'm getting these conversations with the roster announcement and there's been so much, uh, there's been so much panic and et cetera from these selections and it's, a, they're talking points and people get very angry with why this guy made it for the U S and I don't remember having these conversations. It's pretty new, which is good. It means a fan base that cares, but some of the reactions are like, that doesn't make any sense. And I go, when I go back to them, I go, are, are they having these arguments in other places? And I, since you're a little closer to the Mexican side um, and following their camp, do, are those discussions being half? I've seen a, a couple of them. Maybe they said, no, we should get a little bit younger. Maybe the, um, a guy like Julian Araujo or someone gets in there or, or so-and-so. But generally, I don't think that it's like, it feels like the U.S. we are arguing over every position at this point. <laughs> I agree. I agree that like, and I think, but again, it goes back to the coaches. You know, Berhalter experiments a lot. He tinkers a lot. He sure in does. Big games, in big games. And it's put him. A, kind of you know, respect him for that. It's yeah, crazy. He's been behind the eight ball. And he course corrects at halftime. He changes the formation. He brings in the right guys that probably should have started the game. Tata Martino is just, he's just not like that. The, 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 I would say the, the arguments that have taken place that are diminishing now, because I think in Mexico, they're just used to, okay, this is our squad. Uh, it is, it is go back to like younger legs. Why doesn't Tata Martino give younger guys an opportunity? He's given some guy, younger players, U20 players, U23 players. He's given them the call up. But in the end, he knows who his guys are. Uh, and, and it is a veteran team. I think when they get to the World Cup, you know, that's that's where you're going to see those conversations about the roster and the right. starting line. that's when it's going to blow up in Mexico, for sure. But now you mentioned the midfield and it, it's a great shout because, you know, he you know, it's going to be Edson Alvarez and Hector Herrera, Ache Ache. Who's the third? Uh, Tata Martino has tried several other players in that third spot of the 4-3-3 against Canada, which I, I can compare Canada and the U.S. because they are very pacey teams that I think know how to attack Mexico. And against Canada, you know, Tata lined up Edson, Andres Guardado. Yeah, and that's uh, a, did that surprise you with yes. Guardado in there? Me too. But here's what I, because I've covered him in Atlanta, I remembered him doing something similar when they were playing pressing teams or teams that wanted to come after them. A lot of the times he would bring in guys into the midfield that he in Spanish, it's like players that have, que son de buen pie, you know, like just technical players that are clean, super clean on the ball, elite distributors. Uh, and cause he hoped that like, if you're going to press me, I'm going to play around you. 
And I think that's what he tried to do with with our, with that with that three man with Guardado against Canada, and it just didn't work. You know, Guardado was outpaced, outplayed, uh, and and I think that's that's the big question mark. You could see a guy like Charlie Rodriguez from Monterey. Oh, Young, I rate or, him. I like him. He's good. He can be box to box. You can ask him to sit, uh, and he he can chase a guy in the midfield. So like, it's a great shout, Max, because like other than the who's going to partner Hector Moreno in the back, you know who's going to be that third guy in the midfield who does tata want if you bring in an orbelin Pineda, he's like a 10 he's like sort of a hybrid 10 i think he's a guy that you bring off the bench it's gonna that that is the biggest decision to your point like who plays alongside ache ache and edson alvarez i think with this u.s game that it's going to be really up and down i think it's just going to be a wild game i would i would bring in pace i would bring in charlie rodriguez I like, and again, we'll sit there and wait for the 11s and I'll refresh my page and I'll refresh my page. When's it coming? When's it coming? Because that's going to tell us, I think, a lot about this game and what these managers are obviously thinking and where the edges lie. And I was going to ask you about what kind of game you think it's going to be. You said it's going to be wild. And we can talk about the the thoroughbreds that Mexico has with Tecatito, Chucky, Raul Jimenez, a lot of guys that can certainly help out up there. They have goals. And then the LAFC side, which is a little a little bit more questions, but Christian Pulisic is obviously the wild card. What kind of game will it be? Because we had the five gold Nations League final, and then we had the grind it out after I think Mexico had their great chances in the Gold Cup final, and Amer- the United States were able to wear things down and get uh, a one a one settle victory. I, I tend to think it's going to be more Nations League. This could be a little this could be a little crazy, and uh, the goals will get back, which obviously brings the defenses into view. The goalkeeper's interview. <laughs> it is uh, the reason I'm so. Com- this is so compelling, despite the fact we've seen it twice. I just don't know which way it goes. You figure we have enough intel, but these teams and so much has changed, and these are different squads in many ways. And now you come into this one. This is without doubt the most important of the three. Yes, you win trophies, but this is World Cup qualifying at the halfway point of this. So. Do you think how much do we do you think we actually know about what this te- these two teams are going to look like or what this game is going to look like here a week out? I I mean first of all clearly the LAFC game is still in your head because you referred to the US as LAFC. Did so- I? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Thank you for correcting me. I would have hated if I didn't correct it because I would have found like sound like an imbecile. Yes, no, USA. Right. They're one and the same to me. My allegiances. <laughs> No, but I mean, here's the, I, I don't know. I mean, I agree that the, the biggest question mark is Burhalter starting 11, because I think we already discussed the two question marks from Mexico. It's really just two. You're going to you know what you're going to get from Mexico. Uh, the reason why I think it's like a wild game is because it's a Clásico. It's like, you know, even Burhalter was, was spoke last week about it, that it doesn't matter um, what tactics you have and what weaknesses you found and what strengths you think you have. In the end, the players go out there and they know that they're playing in a huge, huge rivalry game. Now, something that I've been waiting to like bring up on, on your pod is something that one of my editors told me recently. And I was like, wow, I had not thought about that. Oh, I like this. A good sell. Yeah. And this is what puts this game in perspective and how big it is. This is probably, no, I think it is. I think this is the last Mexico-U.S. World Cup qualifier in the U.S. that will be played until after the 2026 World Cup. Oh, wow. Yes, they don't of course. Qualify, right? So they're going to play again in Mexico City. But this is the last one until the 2030 World Cup. This game in Cincinnati is historic for that reason, because the next World Cup, these teams aren't qualifying for it. Um, and by so the way, 20, by, by 2030, it'll be an 80-team World Cup, so we won't <laughs> even have qualifying. So this is essentially the last qualifier ever in the exactly. United States. Exactly. We're seeing the end of an era. The next, the 2030 World Cup is going to be straight single elimination knockout. Just that's it. <laughs> 64 uh, teams from all over yeah. the planet. Um, but, uh, you know, with the U.S., I don't know, man. I don't know what Burhalter wants. I think he he knows he wants to try to get behind Mexico and things like that. Uh, but, you know, tactically, it, it, I think it's too early to go too deep on that because I think the story of the game is how these teams – face each other in this sort of matchup does mexico have the cojones the stomach to accept the fact that this is a game they have to win just for pride they're in first place they could they could lose the game and it's not like their world cup qualification is in trouble i mean they can't afford to lose it just because of 
the 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 the, the, the blowback they experience in Mexico. But for, for that reason, uh, you know, I, I'm looking at Mexico as you know, do, do they step up? They don't. They're not going to have a problem playing in Cincinnati. I, th- I think this is a team that's yeah. too experienced. Uh, they've been through the summer of playing throughout the U.S. and getting to the finals. Uh, it's how does the U.S. come out? Like, what do they do? What What's their plan? Wow. If the U.S. can get this result, it would play such head games because of everything we've said. It's like everything. It's it's like why I, I would be happy with the point right at this point for the U.S. because it just feels like Mexico, as we opened up here, are, are, are hitting some more cylinders than they have at any point in 2021. But then the, everything else in the history kind of comes into view with it that keeps you, you know, makes you reserve your your opinions here for the time being. Let's let's you got me thinking. Well, let's try and figure out what the U.S. does, because I'm, I'm scrolling through my head and there's like four or five open positions. So goalkeeper could be Stefan, could be Turner. No, Serginho Dest. So the right back could be three different players. I hope it's Joe Scally. I think I think that could be the surprise in the 11. I think Joe Scally's name in there. Who plays okay. alongside Miles Robinson? Uh, left back, I think Anthony Walker Zimmerman probably. Walker Zimmerman probably. Let's start with uh, goalkeeper. Let's start with goalkeeper. I, I, I think, think it's going to be Zach Steffen. I think, I think so too. I think this is a game at home. He played him at home last time and on the road, and I think he wants to give him this because it get, allows him to play more the way he wants to play. Right. Speaking of Burhalter, so we so we think Zimmerman. I would send to uh, the other options: Mark McKenzie, Chris Richards. It does. It feels like Zimmerman, and who had a good October? Yeah, I mean, I mean, in in the past, uh, which I think is somewhat surprising. But I think U.S. men's national team fans will be like, "No, get this guy out of here." But you know, Tim Ream was the guy that Burhalter would bring in in this situation. Sure, um, like who you know, he, uh, he's a left footer. He he can. He's a smart player, and he he's sort of a dual sort of versatile player that can play as a left back, or as or as a you know left center back. But he's not in the he's not on the roster, so it's going to be Miles Robinson and someone else. Do you play Chris Richards, a young player, in this sort of game? I mean, he he was pretty decent against Costa Rica, uh, but you know Walker Zimmerman is, is brings the, the experience factor, and he, and he's a good player on the ball. He, he can be beaten for pace though, uh, but he is a good distributor, and I think he you know Miles Robinson putting too much on Miles. I think could be a mistake. I, I like Miles a lot. I see him every day here in Atlanta. I talk to him a lot. Uh, it, it, he's still a player that's growing, that's maturing at the international It's amazing. Level. It's amazing, so, Felipe, what we put on his shoulders because of how well he's played. Yeah, but he's he seems okay with it. The US. He's been better for the U.S. than for Atlanta in the last month or so. Uh, but who partners with him? I, I would go with Walker Zimmerman, honestly, uh, just sort of for that experience factor a guy that you know is going to be positionally sound, uh, smart on the ball. Uh, instead of lining up Miles Robinson, who is, like I said, growing into his role, and then Chris Richard, who's like just so young and inexperienced and unproven at this level. Um, so those are my two center backs. Right back, you have Scally, Cannon, or Yedlin. Who would you go? I mean, Cannon, I believe, is coming off an injury. I mean, he's not. Yeah, that was weird. Ball. He came yeah, off yeah. the game against Boa Vista in like 17th yeah. minute. So I figured he wasn't going to get called in, but here he is. So maybe he's sitting. He's just going to be here as a, as a spectator, which is fine. You want to bring in yeah. players who can bring him to camp, give him some confidence. I would start DeAndre, DeAndre Yedlin because okay. um, he, he it's going to be that kind of game where you're going to need to get stuck in. You're going to be head doing the soccer headbutt thing with your with the guy you're marking a lot. Um, it's going to be that type of game. It's, it's going to be a psychological sort of uh, matchup with whoever you're facing. And DeAndre, I know, you know, fans are saying, no, he's not in top form. You know, he's, he's unpredictable, he's inconsistent, uh, but he will get stuck in. He will tackle hard. He will run hard. It's again, you know, Joe Scally, very good player, very big prospect. I, I would not be surprised if he starts. Burhalter has started George Bellow in international qualifiers <laughs> and he was not ready to play at that level. So, but, but my, my right back would be Yedlin. I, I think to, to our point is to throw a couple spanners in the works here to keep the other manager on his toes. That's why I think Scally, it's, I think it's a long shot, but I think maybe he's trying to outthink him. Anthony, we're, are you agree with left back Robinson? He's been, he's been good. Yeah, Needs yeah. to cross the ball better, but he's been good. He's there. Like I, I, I was one of those guys that, you know, over the years, I haven't been too high on him. You know, I think in one V one 
matchups with like a really good winger, he can suffer. And this is the type of game where there's going to be a lot of one V one action in those wide channels. And if he is lined up, you know, if Tata's like, I'll, I can move Chucky Lozano to the right. I can move him to the left. He's going to pick which matchup he feels is strongest uh, for him. And if, if, if you're Mexico, if you're Tata Martino and you're looking at, you know, Chucky Lozano and Tecatito might be going against Joe Scali or might, might be going against Antoine Robinson, that's advantage Mexico. So I think it's going to be Antoine Robinson. He was really good in the last window. Uh, again, experience matters in this type of game. Midfield experience does matter. And that brings Eunice Musis's participation into question, even though he was pretty good the last month. Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, lock him in. And they both played well this weekend. I was watching the Juventus game, and it's it's amazing how quickly Weston McKinney's become uh, an instrumental player again for them, doing a lot of stuff. He was everywhere. It was like I was just, you know, you're watching these games, and it's not hitting for a lot of guys, and you're 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 hoping for the best for this U.S. men's national team squad. And McKinney was like lights out. So I go Adams McKinney. I'll put Moose in there because last month he's not playing as much because Valencia have gotten healthier. Carlos Soler is back, and I think that's the guy he was competing with for that playing time. Maybe <laughs> I know people will lose their mind, but Sebastian legit gets called in there because you want that steal. I, I doubt it. I think it's McKinney Adams and uh, Musa, but uh, now it's maybe now or never to build that chemistry between that trio, which is the long-term grouping I would imagine. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, Adams, McKinney, Musa, even though Musa like Burhalter hasn't shown like this commitment to him yet um and and like you said he's a young player he's he's sort of in and out of the valencia lineup but he, he played really well this past weekend uh and he just has tremendous upside the, the, you know the 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 options there and that as the third you know is very, that's a very similar dilemma for mexico too who's the third uh <laughs> midfielder have a, a football game show yeah uh you know busio i like a lot but you yeah. know he, he you've got to sort of play around him like you want he's a deep line midfielder uh i think that's what he's becoming uh, and and if you're going to go somewhere and be, and be that type of player go to Serie A. i mean that's that's you know andrea, andrea pirlo, pirlo up pirlo <laughs> that position yeah uh you know when i spoke to pirlo over the summer huge plug uh, look at the name dropping over here <laughs> i know i know give me like a ding or something uh i actually mentioned him i was like hey have you heard of Gianluca Busio? they call him the american pirlo and he was like i know him he's good i like him. <laughs> so uh i know Busio. him he's good i wish you yeah. did it in an italian accent felipe but it was still pretty good your delivery was good uh so i think Busio still he i think he's a guy that you can bring on if like hey we need to keep the ball uh, but uh, it's going to be Adams, McKenney. I think Musa. The thing with McKenney that is is not talked enough about. I mean, I know that Burhalter likes him because he can, you know, crash the box. Uh, but that characteristic is very much like the modern number eight. That like box to box eight, but not box to box. People tend to think, oh, like he's running all over the field. He's defending. He's attacking. No, box to box to me is like what Locatelli did. For Italy during the the Euros, like he's a guy that's like literally in the box getting chances, and that's McKinney. You know that's why he's so valuable to this team because while he's not positionally super disciplined, he reads the game pretty well and he gets in positions, attacking positions, and he creeps he creeps on you into the box. So I'll go Musa McKinney Adams. I think that one's an easy one. Ricardo Pepe is really the only number nine. There were some interesting choices uh, there, although uh, Jesus Ferreira gets in there. A lot of guys you would consider more wingers. Uh, Ferreira really, I'm, I'm, I was I was pleasantly surprised to see him in there because I didn't think he was going to get in. But I was watching a lot of Dallas games recently. Don't don't kill me for this, but they played LAFC. <laughs> I called the game, and because they're all involved in the playoff push, I go, you, and because I'd watch for Pepe, I go, I got to see Pepe, and I'd go. Man, Ferreira's playing better than Pepe. So I imagine Berhalter's doing the same thing, watching Pepe tape and going, wow, Ferreira's popping off the screen. So that said, I don't know if he plays a lot, but I think Pepe probably starts both games. Aronson, I don't think Pulisic starts Mexico. I was going to, you know, I was going to put Paul Areola, and I think he starts both games. And I know people are rolling their eyes, but Heath Pierce had a very, I was talking, I'll I'll drop his name again because we had a nice (laughs) conversation. He mentioned, he goes, what they look with Paul Ariola is Greg Berhalter knows that he will get a seven rating as a player every game. 
You'll yeah. always give him seven. If you put Tim Way in there, he might give you an eight or a nine, but he might give you a five. Yeah. And that terrifies managers. And I go, you know, you're going to get a seven because he does this job and he does it well. So that tells me it's going to be Ariola, whether it's the best option, but it just makes a lot of sense. That's why he's called in. And Greg obviously loves him. So Pepe, Aronson, Ariola, how do you see it? I like it. I like that. I think Ariola, I agree with, with, with Heath and, and, and your assessment there. It's like, he's not, he doesn't jump off the page, but he just does the job. And if you remember, he he should have scored in these finals over the summer. Yeah. I think it was Gold Cup. Um, you know, just just he's not a finisher. He doesn't put it away. But it would do him fan. wonders if he did. You're absolutely right. He's just a pest, and he and I think he just really understands how to play for his national team in these games. So, but my front three, uh, I agree. Pepe's the number nine. You know, this is what I said on counterattack recently. I was definitely hanging on to the Pepe train over the summer. Uh, I really like him. I liked him before he got called up. Uh, I just see a, a player that understands how to play as a, a goal scoring nine. Um, but putting so much on an 18 year old is still crazy to me. It's crazy that the U S is like, we found our number nine and he's 18. Plug him in, <laughs> put him in there. It's like there, that just doesn't happen in other countries. I'm sorry. Like teenagers don't play for their national team around the world. It's, it's not. Thank you. Accepted. Thank you. Cause people are, when I talk to these guys about who gets called in, they're under the impression that teenagers are all over these rosters. It no. is absolute folly. No, no, it's and and that's why it's still a risk. You can burn guys. That's what I said the other day on Twitter. I was like, George Bellow, good left back, tons of potential. He is going to get back in the pool, but he almost got burned because he was in these big games and he didn't play well. It was too much for him. Uh, and, and that's that's not great for a teenager either. So Pepe obviously started great scoring goals, but he to your point for Dallas, he's sort of like you know, the steam is, is running out a little bit, uh, but he's going to be the nine. I would put Aronson alongside him and man, Max, if, if Pulisic doesn't start, that's where Twitter blows oh, up. Yeah. The lineup. I just don't know how, I, I mean, mean, that's I, a big jump. It, it is. It's it, that would be, that would just be, that would be the story of, you know, leading up to kickoff that Pulisic isn't starting. I'm, I'm going to put him there. I'm going to go Aronson. Well, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Yeah. Uh, I agree 100% with Weah. You don't know what you'll get. Uh, Jesus Ferry, I think, is a guy you bring on. Uh, you know, I'm thinking strictly Mexico. Maybe against Jamaica, this this front three changes. But for Mexico, Aronson, Pepe, Pulisic, you, you've just got to roll out with your with your big guys. By the way, I said you said you don't play teenagers. I have three teenagers in my starting eleven. So. <laughs> but, that, but the U.S. is an outlier. They are an outlier in world football. I really believe that. Like in Mexico, when they talk the about best players the US, are young. Yeah, when they talk about the U.S., the 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 conversation is, wow, look at all like look at all these Champions League players from that are essentially under twenty two players. Some of them U twenty players. But what I see from Mexico pundits that have a little bit of attitude, they're like, uh-huh, E, what? Like, what are they, what are they going to do at the international level? Uh, yes, they won these games over the summer. But this is when you, 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 they haven't even played in a World Cup yet. They haven't qualified for a World Cup yet. Uh, but they're going to be, the U.S. is going to be that they are a trendsetter. That, that is a big deal in international football. There, there, there are not a lot of countries that are lining up teenage left backs, teenage strikers. <laughs> it's just so rare. It's so rare. It's a big risk, but I think Berhalter feels like he's got a, a, a big grasp like on this squad. Felipe Cardenas of The Athletic. Check out his incredible articles. And as I say, you're so good over the air or on over the mic that I look forward to seeing you do much and more. And, and as I said, Felipe, very nice to look at too. Handsome devil <laughs> and dresses really nice as he came to Bank of California State in the other day. So I, I told him that before the pod. And what you have also noticed is I basically walk up to everyone and ask them about USA Mexico. That is my introductory yeah. sentence these days it's pathetic it's just you know, it's, hey what, what about it's, it? <laughs> it's gonna happen I mean, right back it's it's it is it's not the rivalry in world football i know i know some people we can have a whole pot on that but it is one of the biggest rivalries in world football like it is the biggest one in the region 
is it Argentina, Brazil, is it Scotland, England, and all those? Like, it depends on well, you know who I, you. I ask. say I say it is just because they play each other more often. England, yeah. Scotland, it's once in a blue moon. Brazil, yeah. Argentina, a little bit more, but sometimes it, you have to wait for it. But uh, it's you know partial. It's very commercial as well. You get these USA Mexico games, but that is thrusted up the charts in my estimation. It's not Brazil, Argentina, and Brazil, Argentina got a boost with the Copa America, but it's not. It's because of the regularity they play, although we won't see that in four years in World Cup qualifying, so maybe it'll drop down a couple rungs again. Thanks a lot, Felipe. Anytime, man. Happy to be on. <laughs> Felipe right, Cardenas, very good. Uh, <laughs> cheers to you, my friend. We'll see you very soon. We'll come back with more of the soccer OG. All right, Max. See you in Cincy. are back and i'm happy to report that i got a nice sushi feed in there at the local okie dokie and i got a little sake as well to go with it so encourage some drinking on this podcast from time to time the day certainly warranted it and when i was talking to felipe i had this great idea for icy cold modelos i have this big advertising campaign if i can get at the table for someone at modelos and it's basically says parties are always better when the icy cold modelos are there and it's gonna be giant cans with people inside with the arms and legs and they show up at a party dancing for them. And people are like, hey, it's the Icy Cold Modellos. This is my kind of party. What do you think? No? It's worth a shot. Just, I, if this soccer thing doesn't really work out, I'm going to go into advertising. I think I got, I think I got the good head for it. So uh, today on stoppage time, we haven't really had a good stoppage time. I'm going to talk about English managers in the Premier League with more and more money being pumped into it. Where do they stand? It is a bit of a dying breed. And not so much British managers, and that's why I wanted to talk about, because I want to talk about David Moyes and the big result for West Ham over the weekend. The big game was the Manchester Derby, but you would be crazy if the biggest talking point wasn't West Ham getting three past Liverpool. And I think showing a blueprint on how to beat the Reds. You break down the midfield with that double pivot that works so well. You... You pepper the goalie who looks flawed, right? I mean, Allison to me is a little bit off the off the back wheel of some of the top in the Premier League. But I think there's an ability there to frustrate that team. West Ham could have shown it. And uh, David Moyes, who's Scottish. The two big managers are British that are currently in the Premier League. You have David Moyes from Scotland. And you have Brendan Rodgers from Northern Ireland. Other than that... You have now three managers with Dean Smith relieved by Aston Villa. However, Newcastle bringing in Eddie Howe. How long does Howe last with the money that's going to be pumped in Newcastle? But still, I, I think it's if I was if I was English, I'd be happy to see that English managers are getting these jobs because everyone's looking elsewhere. The other big addition, Tottenham Hotspur, Antonio Conte. The biggest managers are all. From the continent, right? Pep Guardiola, Spanish. Jurgen Klopp, German. Uh, Thomas Tuchel, German. Uh, and now you have a couple Italians as well that are making their way up there. So it is, uh, with all the money, you get the best manager you possibly can get. And that's what uh, Tottenham Hotspur are doing with Antonio Conte. That's the biggest name there. And you're going to have to pay him. And I was hearing crazy money, like $15 million a year. What? What? I wouldn't want to make that much money. That's too much pressure, right? I would be terrified. I want to make good money, but not that kind of money. Under the radar money. <laughs> In a pizza box delivered under your door money. So the English management game now falls onto Eddie Howe at Newcastle. And we'll wait and see. Graham Potter, who has been a, an absolute revelation for what he's done at Brighton. who are a really good club. And Potter has power. And Sean Deitch at Burnley. Dean Smith looked like he'd be a guy who could make that breakthrough, but he is no longer an option. And Aston Villa, my guess, would eventually go foreign with the permanent replacement. So many big candidates in the Premier League, and they really have to work their way. You know, even a guy like Patrick Vieira is there now at Crystal Palace. By the way, the Premier League, it was a crazy week. Uh, Norwich finally win a game, and then now they decide to fire Daniel Farka, German. 
They may go English. They may go English, but Nor- Norwich isn't going to be around in the Premier League much longer. So uh, the manager is starting. Every, the only guy who keeps keeping maintaining his job is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, remarkably. He lost again this weekend. What would his replacement be? Everyone wanted Antonio Conte, but he is off the table. Uh, Den Haag at Ajax, who uh, I don't know why all of a sudden he is this big candidate. You really have had to been there and gone through the grinder. Carlo Ancelotti is a guy who comes to mind. Italians do wonderfully. Germans do wonderfully as managers, too. And they're getting these jobs. It's, it's going to be interesting if a club outside of Burnley... You know, I also, my friend, I was telling him about this. He goes, what about Thomas Frank at Brentford? I go, he's Danish. He strikes me as an Englishman, no? So uh, it's uh, slim pickings, and England can claim the Brits, although can they? This is their league. Brendan Rodgers has done a wonderful job at uh, Leicester, and he might be a candidate at a Manchester United or a club like that. He has earned it. He's done all the build-up to this point. The league has gone so big. I was reading a stat about the money spent and... I think all 20 Premier League teams spend amongst the 30 most amount of money in all the European leagues. So it's the 20 Premier League clubs and all the other clubs that you would imagine. But that's going to continue to grow. And those mid-table teams will get some traction. And the Premier League will get bigger because it won't be a big four or big six. Remember it was the big four, now it's the big six. And soon it's going to be the big eight. A lot of clubs are on the cusp of becoming part of the bigger club. And West Ham is there. They are so paper thin. So if they have any injury issues, they'll fall off. But just so you know, the big result this weekend, West Ham beats Liverpool 3-2 to two and looked really comfortable. They're beating a lot of good teams along the way. They had the big win over Tottenham Hotspur. And now they are third in the Premier League. Third. Are they going to win the Premier League? No. Are they going to finish in the top four? Probably not. But they're making things really interesting, and they're keeping those big clubs at bay because Manchester City's dropping points, Chelsea dropped some points, Liverpool's dropping points. They haven't run away as I thought they would, and many other experts thought as well. Which brings it back to David Moyes, because remember he had his issues replacing Sir Alex Ferguson, the biggest, one of the biggest management names of, of anywhere of all time. A job you don't want to replace that person because of the success at Manchester United. And that's more and more in our rearview mirror. And we forget how dominant Manchester United were. It was incredible the job that Alex Ferguson did. And I threw in sir. He certainly earned that. So Alex Ferguson was replaced by uh, David Moyes. David Moyes continued to try and make a name for himself. And he, he, he defended his reputation as a guy who got results. Uh, 58-year-old from Glasgow. So after Manchester United went to Real Sociedad for a year, then he went to Sunderland, didn't quite work. Prior to Manchester United, he had some success at Everton. Then he's brought into West Ham to save them. They were in the relegation picture. He saved them. Made some real savvy signings like Thomas Suchek, who I believe is the most valuable player in the Premier League. That's right, Thomas Suchek. Watch him. Watch a West Ham game and just keep your eye on him the whole time. It's a great way to learn about how good these players are. He rescued them. Remember the pandemic year? They were, when he came back to playing, they were in like 18th place. Quickly got them out of there. Next year, qualifies them for the Europa League. Solidifies them. Then after that, 2021, he's in third place. And I remember when they beat Tottenham Hotspur, there was a a discussion about this team. uh, They really can't. They, they, they relied too much on Michael Antonio. If he didn't get goals, they'd be in major trouble. I'm like, okay. So West Ham, after they beat, I mean, they're scoring goals at an incredible clip. They beat Aston Villa, pardon me, 4-1. to one. It wasn't Tottenham Hotspur, but they beat Tottenham. They beat Aston Villa away. Four different goal scorers, not named Michael Antonio. And they're good home and away. They had that bad patch where they lost to Brentford. Uh, he's also got them in to the final eight, I believe, of the League Cup. So maybe he's going to add a trophy. You know how long it's been since they won a trophy there? It's been like a, it's been half a century. David Moyes, what a savvy move. There's no way anyone at West Ham thought they would have had that. But to do, to manage a team, save them from relegation, flip them over, get them to Europe, perhaps get into the Champions League spots and win a trophy. You could, you couldn't dream better 
output from a manager. But he's doing it. So hats off to the Scots, to the Northern Irish, and also, well, let's say hats off to the English managers. We're pulling for you because it's becoming a cosmopolitan international league with the owners, with the players, obviously. It hasn't become with the broadcasters because uh, if you're not English, you're not allowed to broadcast the English Premier League. Far, God forbid that that ever happened. So that too, I hope that changes. I want to call some Premier League or some uh, an American or an Australian or an Irishman or a Spaniard or a German. That's the only thing that hasn't changed. But now the managers are changing. That's going to see how the English managers will maintain it. They're going to really be tested. This is a big spot. This is the Soccer OG. We'll join you from Cincinnati in the midweek. Check out our new pod from Cincinnati on Wednesday. And check out the Soccer OG on YouTube for all the latest. It's great to join you every week. Thanks for following. Download, subscribe, share, rate, review. My name is Max Paredes. I am the Soccer OG, Placido Domingo. <laughs>